The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. Today's episode is episode number 317. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And when you give us a five-star rating and people go on Google to search for help with addiction, our podcast comes up and that's what we want. Please also check out our YouTube channel, ring the bell so that you get notified. You have to subscribe as well. And then give our videos a thumbs up again so that people can find us. Today's episode, we are talking to a gentleman named Max Hall. Max Hall knows what it's like to hit the highest highs and the lowest lows. The former BYU and Arizona Cardinals quarterback is a husband, father of two, and a high school football coach. While playing in the NFL, he suffered multiple concussions and a shoulder separation, which required surgery. The anxiety he faced thinking his career and life were over sent him into a deep depression. He was given a 30-day supply of pain pills, which he took in three days, and off he went into a five-year-long addiction battle. Hall's much-publicized arrest for shoplifting and felony drug possession is what finally saved him. Let's talk to him, find out how, and find out what he's up to now. Max Hall. Thank you for being willing to be on the podcast today and tell us your story. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. I uh, love coming on. You know, I think there's there's power in sharing. There's power in sharing your story. There's power in talking about things. So um, this is a privilege for me to be on this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you. And while we agree that there is power in sharing, we also understand there are a lot of people out there who don't want to share and we get that and no judgment at all. And, and you know, I think that comes when they're ready. Yes. You know what I mean? Down the road Absolutely. when they're ready. No need to force it. You're right. Absolutely. So Max, just give us a little bit of your background. Where did you go grow up? How did you get into football? And ultimately, how did you get into drugs? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up right here in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, it's my hometown. Uh, went to Mountain View High School. Um, grew up in a great family, great mom and dad, uh, uh, an athletic family. My dad played uh, basketball and football. My, my uncle Danny White and my grandpa Wizard White both played professionally. Danny for the Dallas Cowboys and Wizard for the uh, for the Chicago Bears. Both of them All-Americans got their jerseys retired at ASU Stadium, all that stuff. So wow. come from a family like that, right? So yeah. I grew up with great genes. With you great weren't going to be an me. artist or a poet, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. No, I, I just, I that's what I was going to do. And I loved it from a young age and I was competitive from a young age, so... Um, got, got to play in high school and be the starter. And it's kind of funny. I originally thought I was going to be a basketball player. That's what I wanted to do. But I started getting all this recognition for football. I started getting scholarship offers and I go, Hey, maybe I can spin a football better and I can shoot a basketball here. So, um, ended up going the football route, which was the right route for me. Went to Arizona state out of high school, uh, to follow my uncle, and my grandpa. Um, I, I am LDS. So I decided to serve an LDS mission for my church. Uh, when I came home, uh, it was an environment issue for me. You know, ASU, I got into some trouble while I was at ASU. You know, I think that's kind of where I first started dabbling, like right towards the end of my senior year. And then going to ASU is when I was first introduced to Oxy. Oh. And, you know, back then you could get those Oxy 80s and, you know, they were like 20 bucks a pop, you know, and wow. it, it was like, 
we would get those and we would take them on the weekends and feel good. And it was just kind of like, okay, you feel good on the weekend, like a weekend thing. Um, it never became like a, like a daily habit for me. It was just kind of like, yeah, let's go to a party. We'll take a couple Percocets and have a good time, you know? Um, but you know, I, I drank and I did some, you know, I partied. So, uh, after my, I, I had to go see my church leaders and do all that. And I was able to get out on a mission, came back and I said, I can't go back into that environment. Well, BYU had called me and said, Hey, we still got a scholarship for you. Why don't you come up to BYU? So I, I got to go up to BYU and play. I was a, I was a three-year starter for him. Um, I hold, hold records there. I got my, my, the record that I love the most is I, I'm the winningest quarterback in BYU history. So I won more games there than any other quarterback. And we're talking Steve Depp or Steve Young, Ty Detmer, you know, Jim McMahon. There's some really good quarterbacks that played there. So, wow. Um, Congratulations. Well, I'm not, I'm not beating my own chest, but I, I'm trying to explain <laughs> to, okay. to people listening that you wait till you hear the rest of the story. Okay. Wait till you understand that addiction doesn't care what you do or who you are. Right. So I I felt like I I was on top of the world, got to play at BYU, um, had a phenomenal experience there. I was clean. I was doing really well. I got married. Um, Life was really good. Um, After after college, got got an opportunity to play for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I was I signed as an undrafted free agent rookie. I was fourth on the depth chart and uh, worked my tail off. And by the time the season came around, I worked my way up to the number two spot. And then four games into the season, they called my number and I got to go on and play. So I started three games, played in five or six games um, my rookie year. I was the first undrafted rookie in the NFL to start my rookie year since like 1956. So uh, I was really proud of that. And when I got to be the starter, it was it it was like I made it. Here I am back in my hometown in Arizona in, in front of my family, in front of everybody. And I felt like, man, I was on top of the world. Yeah. Um, I suffered two really bad concussions, uh, which then followed by a dislocated shoulder. Um, and anybody who's experienced a concussion before knows the, the brain fog, the depression, um, the just kind of the, the haziness that comes with it. And I remember I would be in a game forgetting the play at the line of scrimmage. Like that's oh. how bad it was. And you also got to understand this is before the NFL concussion protocol. Right. So it was still like, hey, are you okay? Give you some smelling salts and back out you go. The other thing people need to understand is I had just become the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. No way you're not con- going to play. No Exactly. Way. And I had just gotten a concussion in my first start. Of course, I'm going to say I'm fine. I'm, I'm here, right? So another concussion, dislocated shoulder. And when I dislocated my shoulder, I'll never forget it. The trainer came out on the field and had to yank my shoulder back into place. And then he took me back into the locker room. And this is where things started to change for me because so much of my identity and my self-worth was based on Max Hall, the quarterback. And so after I dislocated my shoulder and I go to the locker room, in my mind, you got to remember, I'm still depressed and I'm hazy and I got concussions. I'm like, my career's over. That's it. And I remember I broke down. I started crying. I thought, it's done. It's over. Well, I go see the doctor for my shoulder and guess what they give me? Oxy. Let's go. Hook me up, right? And, uh, you know, I started taking them. And uh, three days later, the bottle was gone. 30 days supply, gone. Um, so I'm freaking out. The doctor won't give me more. So what do I What do? I, do? I got to find it. So call up a couple of buddies I knew from high school or for ASU and said, hey, can you guys still get these blues? And they're like, yeah, we got you, man. So that was the start of a five-year addiction for me. Wow. 
Wow. So I, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but like that's kind of the introduction to, to who I am and where it started right there. Well, when was that, Max? The, when, when did this five years start? Uh, 2010 was my rookie year. Okay. And the addiction really started kind of at the end of my rookie season. So okay. um, what's kind of oddly enough, I actually got back. I got rehab, got back, and I came back the next year. So my football career really wasn't over. Okay. But at this point... I'm already hooked. Right. I already got, I already got like a 200 milligram a day habit going on. <sighs> here. And so, and which it got worse. My, it got up to about 400 milligrams, which wow. I mean, it was bad, but 200 milligrams is a lot, especially when you're still trying to play professionally. Well, and, yeah. And I remember Randy Grimes telling us that he would go through games and didn't remember anything that happened in the game. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Like, and I, and I know, and I know him and he's a great dude, but it's, it's part of the, you feel like, and you're taught that it's part of the gig. It's part of the you job I mean? description. And and yep. we love the game of football so much. We are willing to sacrifice our bodies to play the game because we're addicted to the game pretty much. We love it. We have to play it. And so we're, we're willing to fight through pain or, or suffering or injury or whatever to be able to keep playing. And yeah, so there's games where it's like you got knocked, knocked around. You can't remember what happened. So it's pretty common. Wow. So... Um... Okay. So did your wife know what was going on? Yeah. So she didn't, um, for like the first year. Okay. You know, I, I felt like I, I, I hit it pretty good. Um, I was always assuring her that I was okay, not to worry. It's, I have to take this for my shoulder and then, um, started lying to her about how bad it got. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one hour consultation with Bobby. I got it. Um, she finally was like, man, he is not the same guy. He's acting different. He's, he's shady. He's, he's always gone. He's, she started noticing all the signs of a drug addict and money missing from the account. So one day she kind of, you know, looked around my stuff and found some paraphernalia that I had kind of stashed away. And I came home one day, she's like, what is this? And, um, I was a master manipulator. I really was, Yeah. you know, and I, and I somehow talked my way out of it, sure her everything was fine and kept going. And then she would find it again. And it just, that whole thing started. So pretty soon enough, she knew what was going on, but okay. Now, now I admit I have a problem, but I have to convince you to keep it a secret now. Because of who I am and people know who I am and it'll ruin my reputation. So we have to keep this a secret or it's going to ruin our lives. So oh, that was the relation to her. And, you know, she didn't know anything about addiction. She didn't know anything about recovery. Like, yeah. this is totally not our space. So she's just like, I I got to trust him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, it was pretty, it got, it got really dark. Uh, I was introduced to heroin, cocaine. Uh, I did a short stint of meth, MDMA, like anything really that I could I could do. Um, but really, the addiction came down to a cocaine um, oxy addiction, uh, mixing the two together. And I started I started 
using intravenously. So I started shooting it. And that's when my addiction went really, really dark is when I started going that route. And were you still playing? Yeah, I played for the Arizona Cardinals the next year. Wow. Um, I'm using every day. I remember I would I would leave meetings because I could feel myself fiending. I would I would like make an excuse to leave an NFL meeting to go use in my truck real quick and come back to the meeting. It's just like it's nuts. But I had to keep using. Otherwise, I'd go into withdrawal. And if I'm in withdrawal, I can't practice. I can't focus. I can't do anything. So right. I'm stuck. This drug totally has a grasp on me and it's consuming my life. It's the first thing I'm thinking about in the morning. It's the last thing I'm thinking about at night. How am I going to get more? And whatever I have to do to to get it, I'm going to get it in order to survive. In my mind, I'm like, I need this stuff. You know, my body hurts. You make up whatever excuse you want. And so it got it got really, really dark for me. You know, I tell people all the time. I feel like, you know, kind of kind of using a David Goggins saying, I say that, you know, addiction took my soul. Yeah, it did. So I was I was dark. I was I was gone. Yeah, uh, I, I was looking down. I never wanted to look up, look at anybody in the eye. Definitely not look up to God. I was shameful. Right. There. And um, it's it just that that addiction uh, spiral yep. uh, got me until it ended. Uh, five years later, with I, me getting I was arrested. I was going to say, what made you change? What brought you to that point? You know, we we called this podcast the point of no return because mm. we want to we want people to tell their story and tell us what was that make break point where you go, I'm either going to die, spend the rest of my life mm. in prison, or I'm going to handle this. Yeah. So interesting enough, and I don't know if we want to go on this topic, but I got to tell you that it happened to me is I failed an NFL drug test my second year in the NFL. Well, okay. the NFL PA handles that. So none of the coaches, owners, anybody knows when you fail your first drug test, but they set me up with a doctor and a counselor. And I wasn't ready to get sober. I was just like going because I had to, but the doctor ended up putting me on Suboxone. So, uh, but all Suboxone did for me was keep me out of withdrawal until I could find more drugs. And then when I found more drugs, I not take Suboxone for two days, use, and then when I ran out, wait two days, go back to the Suboxone. So it, all it was was a crutch for me. Yeah, it's not a long-term solution. And we've said nope. that many times on the podcast. Anyway, nope, go ahead. It's not. Great for short-term detox. Yep. I yep. agree. Um, long-term. And I was doing 32 milligrams a day. Ugh. That's how much they were asking me to do. Two 16 milligram strips a day. Wow. And the doctor was prescribing me three, six months out at a time. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a six-month supply of buprenorphine. So guess what I started? I started selling the bupenorphine. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 Seven zero eight zero, And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. Like, so anyway, what the other thing that buprenorphine did is I guess, I mean, there's different opinions on whether you're sober or not. If you're on Suboxone, I don't want to get into that, but no. I did do, I did have times on the Suboxone where I did really well. I went back to BYU. I took some classes. I helped coach. Uh, I ended up going up to the CFL and I played two years in the CFL, but without the Suboxone, I wouldn't have been able to do it. It was a, it was my crutch. It was keeping me out of withdrawal. It was allowing me to function, but it wasn't solving a problem. Right. It was making it worse. It was just giving me 
a way not to be in withdrawal. I didn't have drugs. And so that's what it did. And um, so anyway, I, I was up in Canada playing. I got released. I came back down to Arizona. A month later, I'm right back to it. I had I had done about uh, almost an eight ball of cocaine and about 300 milligrams of oxy. And um, it was a lot, too much. And I found myself wandering around a Best Buy and um, taking stuff off the shelves, putting like I would take headphones off and like take them out of the box, put them on my ears. And I was just kind of acting like an idiot. I'd put some stuff in my backpack. So they call the cops. Uh, the cops show up. I hand them my credit card. I'm like, look, I'll pay for all this. I don't care. Like, they're like, I don't think so, man. So they searched me, found paraphernalia, found a little bit of the cocaine left. And um, I, I remember crying and pleading with the officer, just like, I'm, just don't arrest, please. Just don't. Like, it's going to ruin me. Um, he's like, sorry, man. Slap cuffs on me, put me in the back of the police car, and bam, that thing shut. And I broke down. I, I I completely lost it. And the thought in the moment was, that's it. It's over. I'm done. No one's going to want anything to do with me anymore. I probably just lost my family. I just lost my reputation. Um, it's definitely not a secret anymore. Not a secret anymore. It's it's over. Um, so that happened on a Saturday. Monday was a holiday. Tuesday, it hit the press. So Tuesday morning, I remember I was, I was out helping coach a team. And... Uh, one of the coaches comes over to me and shows me a picture of my mugshot. And he says, this, this isn't real, right? This is fake, right? And I looked at it and I just, I just left. I took off. Um, I ended up in a parking lot somewhere. I sat down on the curb. And for the first time in my life, I thought, life's not worth living. Mm. What's the point? Like, what's the point? I just lost everything. And uh, that was the lowest point of my life right there. But if you want to say that was my rock bottom, that was my rock bottom. Um, in that moment, I got a phone call from my mom, luckily. And she says, where are y'all? Come get you. Um, so thankful for her for that phone call in that moment. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Sorry. Me too. Um, <laughs> I'm a mom. <laughs> so she comes and gets me and takes me to their house. And I get a group of people come over. My uncle Danny came over, some family friends, and we're like, what do we, what do we got to do here? And I finally was at the point, because they had tried to get me to go to recovery before, and I wouldn't do it. And I finally was at the point where I was like, look, I have a decision to make here. And it's either die and, and let this thing defeat me, or I got to fight. So I made the decision to fight, and they got me up to a rehab in Utah, and got me safe. So I was able to detox there, go through the rehab in Utah. And, but I, I remember being up there and sorry, I'm getting emotional about this because it, 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 it's home, but no apologies. I thought I, thought I had lost my wife because um. I had, I hadn't really talked to her since the arrest because it was just so I'm gone for my parents. And I said bye to her, but I had no idea what she was thinking, where she was at. And so I was trying to prepare myself that like this, this could be over. And, uh, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer any phone calls in there. I didn't want to talk to anybody. It was, it was in a really bad place. Yeah. So finally my counselor goes, dude, you need to call your wife. And I go, I'm not, no, I, I can't face that. And he goes, no, call your wife. So I finally called her and she answers the phone and she goes really simple. She goes, babe, I love you. If you're willing to fight, I'm willing to fight. Aww. I said, let's go. So that was big in the start of my recovery right there. Yep. 
Yep. Excuse me. So yeah, that was that was the beginning of recovery and and, and health, getting back healthy. And, and when uh, was that? So how long have you been sober? So I'm not a, I'm not like a huge like day counter or oh, like you know what I mean. That's fine. Um, Just what year? What it's year? it's about eight years coming up on eight years. Eight years. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's very well done. That yeah, I know it's um, not always easy. So very well done, you. Well, I mean, I've had a lot of help though. You know, yeah. I've I've had people around me, and um, you know, that's a big reason why we started Victory Recoveries because I'm so thankful for the team that I had, the people that I had to kind of support me and guide me and help me. And as I, as I talk to more people who are suffering from addiction, most people don't have that. Right. They don't have right. somebody to lean on. They don't have family or, or they've ruined their family relationships. And so that, that's why I'm at a place now where I feel like I have to help. I have to give back. I have to tell my story because maybe I can, I can help somebody get through it themselves. Right. So tell us about this um, center that you have. I, I missed the first part of the name. What's Victory Recovery. Victory Recovery. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how did that come about? How did you get started on that? And tell us about what it is. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, after I had a few years of sobriety, I started getting phone calls from people to do interviews or podcasts, stuff like that, because people want to hear my story. And I was very reluctant. I didn't want to do it. I was scared of being judged. I was scared of what people would think of me, that people would have a certain opinion on me. And then I thought they probably already do anyway. So who cares? You know what I mean? Like, so it, it took a while for me to, to relearn how to love myself again, uh, to be able to look in the mirror again, to have some self-confidence again. I dealt with some really, really bad anxiety. Every time I would try to do an interview, my heart would start pounding really fast and I couldn't breathe. And, you know, being a professional athlete and doing interviews and being on ESPN and playing in front of thousands of people, you would think that doing a simple podcast wouldn't be a big deal, but it was. So I kept saying no. And this guy named Brock Bevel kept reaching out to me. Uh, <laughs> another guy named Blue Robinson kept reaching out to me to be on his podcast. So I ended up doing blues. I ignored Brock for a couple of weeks until he bugged me enough. And I'm like, all right, man, fine, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, the podcast went great. A week later, Brock says, dude, we need to start our own podcast. I said, you're nuts. I'm not a podcast guy. I don't, do you, you think I, I don't have enough to talk about, but we just said, all right, let's go. And we're 80 something episodes in and wow. we still got so much more to talk about and it's just you, been going great. So it's you absolutely and, have things to talk about, Max. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I appreciate that. So yeah. So, so me and Brock and blue start our own podcast. It's called agents of recovery and it's just us three on there and we're, we're raw and we're real and we don't script it and we pick a topic and we go and we've had some really good feedback on it. And so we feel like we're, we're doing some good there and we're helping people. But then Brock comes to me and goes, Max, we need to actually like get our hands dirty, start helping people. We should open up our own counseling center. Um, so we thought about like actually doing a rehab or, 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 you know, an inpatient one. We decided to go outpatient and do it a counseling route and kind of a coaching route where, Hey, we've been through this. We know what it's like. We can call your BS and we can give you the tools and show you the path of recovery because I've done it. I've been through it. I know how it works. And I feel like we have that that special niche to where we can do that with people. So that's, that's our vision and what we're trying to do. And that's huge because I 
we we used to talk a lot with a local rehab called Narconon, and the mm. young man who was on the podcast was a former addict, and he said, you know, it's a huge difference when someone comes into our center and they're talking to someone who really does know what it's like. They're not talking to someone in a white coat or a doctor who has a you know, a philosophical idea of what it's like to be in recovery, but they were talking to people who had done it. So so people coming in to recovery who talk to you, you've been through it. They, as you say, they can't BS you. You know all about it. You know all of the reasons why to keep going, all of the reasons, you know, and the main reason why not to. And I think that's huge. Yeah. It, it's in Mesa, right? Yeah, just right right in downtown Mesa. Um, we've got about 300 square feet. So we got a couple of big group rooms and some offices, and it's perfect for what we're trying to do. Uh, it's also in an area where there is a lot of issues with addiction and, and um, we want to be right in the thick of it and do everything we can to help. So I think that's awesome. And the other part that you told us before we started recording was that you provide aftercare and follow-up. And that is, um, this may not be the right word, but I think it's kind of unprecedented. There is not enough of that. There are 12 yeah. step meetings everywhere, but I think what you do is a little different. It is a little bit different. And um, you, you explained exactly what our niche is because most aftercare programs are AA meetings or, you know, or you live in a halfway house and you got to go to group or stuff like that, which, which those can be great. And I love AA and I was brought this, the rehab I went through was AA. Um, we're not AA based, but we still use a lot of the AA principles. Like we believe in it and, and think it works. Um, but yeah, our niche is the aftercare. So we want you here every day. We want you in group. We're going to at least every day get a one-on-one -on -one with you, even if it's a 15-minute checkup to make sure where you're at. We'll have people texting you at night, making sure you're okay. You got people you can call 24-7. So it's we're your team. We're your recovery team, and we're here to help you for years to come, right? We want we want you to be part of us for as long as you can. So our whole vision is creating this community of people, of, of sober people, but also people that want to help because there's a lot of people out there that want to help and they yep. don't know how. Yep. So I want to say, hey, man, maybe you can sponsor this guy into our program. And then when he needs a job, maybe you can hire him and be a mentor for him and kind of take care of him for me. So outreach into the community and getting other people involved, too, is what is is another vision of ours. I think that's absolutely huge and absolutely phenomenal because that aftercare you know, I'm not a former addict, so I am saying this from, I guess, a philosophical viewpoint, but you, Max, have to wake up every single day and decide decide to stay sober. And there are so many stresses and so many reasons that come up mm. that you could go, I, don't, I can't do it today. I, this is too hard for me. And to have a group such as yourself, I mean, a person such as yourself and a group like that where um, someone in recovery can call you and say, I really need to use and get that reality from you. It's huge. It's just, it's absolutely huge. Oh yeah. It's, and, and, you know, there's, there's so many great places out there you can go to get recovery and I'm not going to knock any of them because everybody does, you know, has their own deal. Yep. But what I found is a lot of these inpatient centers will cut you loose and say pretty much see you in six months when you relapse. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not that's not what we want to do. We want to make sure you stay sober the rest of your life and you're yep. going to be part of our team the rest of your life. So that's why we feel like it's a little bit different 
in creating that community, but it's, uh, um, it's, we're picking up. We we're, we just opened, like literally just opened. We're about to have people start coming in and filling in. So we're awesome. really excited about where this is going to go and see where it takes us. I, that's amazing. And the name and the website so that people can find it. Yeah. So victory recovery is this, is the center. Uh, our, our website is victoryrecoveryaz.org. And uh, our Instagram handle is, you know, at victoryaz, um, Facebook at victoryaz. So uh, you can find us on any of those platforms. We're about to, we're about to get a TikTok and a Twitter and do all that stuff because we want to be a voice um, for recovery. We want to be a voice uh, for the fentanyl epidemic. And we want to stick our necks out and let people know who we are, what we're doing, that it's okay to get help. That it's okay to be to make mistakes. Let's be part of our team and let's go. So that's kind of the the image, and we're trying to be well known in the community. We we go to we go to high schools all the time and talk to the high school kids. We talk to the Mesa Police Department about fentanyl and how to do that. Channel Three News. We're like the they call us whenever they have questions about fentanyl. We kind of want to be uh, some faces out there that are actually trying to fight against this thing because we don't feel like there's a ton of people doing it. Everybody knows about it but nobody knows what to do about it. So we're just trying to do our part. Yep. Yep. Let me just clarify one thing on your social media. Um, you said at victory AZ is recovery not in there. I just want to make no, sure I get it. It's, right. it's victory recovery AZ victory recovery. Okay. I just want yeah. to make sure I get that correct. And um, so are you seeing a lot of fentanyl in your area? Oh, it's, I mean, I could walk outside and look across the street and I'd probably find somebody using fentanyl. Oh. That's how bad it is in this area and, you know, at, at all the parks and stuff. So Brock and I go out all the time. We hand out blankets and sleeping bags and we talk to them and some people want to tell us their story. So we say, hey, do you mind if we videotape you and we want to hear your story? And, you know, they're pretty open and honest about it. But if you watch those videos, if you go on our Instagram at Victory Recovery AZ, and watch the fentanyl project videos, you'll get an understanding of what it is doing to people. And a lot of these people that are homeless and on the street used to have great homes, great jobs, families, and then something oh, yeah. traumatic happened to them. And they ended up here and you would never expect where they were and how they ended up there. It, it kind of softens your heart a little bit for them and the struggles that they go through. Well, Max, you were an NFL player at the top of the, at the you know, at the top. And there you mm -hmm. go, it if it can happen to you, it can happen to it, anybody, you know? It can happen to anybody, yep. Thank you so much for talking to us today. You are, you set such a good example. And I'm just, I'm in awe of what you and Brock are doing. Um, okay, so Thank the you. podcast, Agents of Recovery podcast. Yep victoryrecoveryaz.org yep. um, at victoryrecoveryaz on social media. Yep. So you guys, um, listeners, you need to check it out. You need to check this out and you could start your own in your own area. Yeah, absolutely. Check us out. If, uh, if you want to be part of our team, whether that's you're struggling with addiction or you want to just help and find ways that you can come with us and help do it. Um, if you're in a situation to where you can donate, we do have a 501c3. We do have a Victory Recovery Foundation. Um, you can donate to our foundation right on our website, and that'll help us with our fentanyl project. Also, that money goes directly to people who can't afford treatment. So one thing that we really like is we are never going to turn anybody away because of money. And we're going to come up with some donations and some scholarship opportunities for people that we don't have to turn anybody away because 
if we make it about the money, it, we're, we're, it's the wrong thing. So I want to figure out a way that I can get you here if, if you don't have the resources to do it. So we have a couple things like that going on. We're just trying to do everything we can to make sure that when somebody's ready to start recovery, when somebody's ready to burn the boats and get going, we're here and we're ready to help you. I love it. So, Max Hall, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, yeah. You're still a star. You may not be playing football, <laughs> but you're still a star in my book. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me on. You guys have been great. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, I think Max's story is, it's a good one for you to hear and for you to know about. And um, we've talked before about sports and how um, sports can lead to injuries. And oftentimes it's just a broad scale narcotic that is prescribed. And that's something you want to watch out for. Once again, Max and Brock's podcast is, and Blue, I guess there's three of them. Their podcast is Agents of Recovery, so you can find that where you listen to podcasts. The website for their recovery center in Mesa, Arizona is victoryrecoveryaz.org. And on social media, they are Victory Recovery AZ. Everybody have a good week. If you need to get into treatment, don't wait. Please do it now. And we will be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.